Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm Michael. I'm Shane. Welcome to episode 82, Best of Wrestling History X, Volume 2, 1990 to 1992. Now, this isn't like, basically a short list of what we enjoyed the most, a as we've called it, a tight five. Yes. The list could be bigger, but, you know. Uh, it could definitely be It could be definitely be bigger, bigger, but these are already out there. This is just kind of a, some, like, you know, it's summarizing uh, our feelings on the, on the years previous. So, here at Wrestling History X, we kind of do what we call seasons. We run about 40 episodes-ish. And so, these... Matches that we're going to cover today come from episode 41 to episode 80, which covered 1990 to 1992. Yeah. Give us a break. We've never, never missed a week. That's pretty impressive. It is. I think that's ridiculously impressive. I think the first match Mm -hmm. that we should literally talk about comes all the way back at the WCW Super Show number one in 1991. Episode 55, The Steiners of Rick and Scott. The dog-faced gremlin, Rick Steiner. Versus Hiroshi Hase. The former professor. And (laughs) Kazuke Sasaki. For the WCW World and IWGP Tag Team Championships. And this is like, the Steiners in 91 is like... Prime Stein. Prime Time Stein. <laughs> it's just like, ah, yeah, fucking hotter than devil's dick in August. It's fucking, they're just over everywhere they go. With good reason. I mean, hell, this show, the Super Show, was the uh, the one right before I came on to the, uh, the podcast, and I watched this show just because I wanted to be in, in the loop of everything you guys were talking about, and holy shit. Yeah, I'd never seen Hase or Sasaki wrestle before. Uh, or actually, I take that back. I'd seen Kensuke Sasaki before, but never, never had seen Hase. And yeah, this one uh, lit the fire for Japanese wrestling for me. So I'm, I'm excited to see that it made the cut. Like when I was, we were writing the short list. Like literally, as soon as I put this one on, the, I put a star next to it because I was like, it's Come gonna on. be, it's gonna be tough to beat this one. Cause <laughs> yeah, this was my first choice for this show because and, just every like Hase and Suzaki lose this match we'll say it right up front yeah. before we go to the clip but Hase came out as my MVP for this show just for his selling of everything that the Steiners did on this yeah the only thing better than somebody that can bump well for the Steiners is somebody that can also like work with the Steiners like it's not just they get their they get some stuff in and they you know look smart it's not just getting ragdolled around well instead of listening to us let's listen to us yeah listen to them <laughs> let's, go, let's go back a few episodes and listen to us then yeah 
So we're headed off to our seventh match. We get the Steiner brothers of Rick and Scott Steiner versus Hiroshi Hase and Kazuke Sasaki for the WCW World and mm. IWGP Tag Team Championships. Woo. Double. It's uh, Kensuke. Kensuke. I think so. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, Ken, it Ken, Kensuke. Kensuke, sorry. Says, I mean, it's you, you nailed Kensuke. Hiroshi Hase. Thank you. This match is actually on both versions, and I believe the full version of the match is on both versions. Uh, Hase and Sasaki are Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famers, as they should be. Mm-hmm. So the Steiners, last time we saw them, were the WCW United States champion. But they had also defeated the Freebirds for the world title six days prior to Wrestle War when the Freebirds had won them. If you remember that whole yeah, Freebirds yeah, yeah. It's losing, like, oh, it wasn't on TV. losing the belts before football, they actually yeah. won them. So at this point, the Steiners hold all the tag team belts in WCW. Both belts. Both, both of them. Both of them. And they're now challenging for the IWGP Tag Team Championship as well. Just so you know. Just so you know. So the match gets going. Scott takes Hase down and tries to lock in a Texas Cloverleaf. But Hiroshi rolls over to get close enough to get the ropes to break it up. Belly-to-belly suplex by Scott goes for a body slam. But Hase floats over and attempts an O'Connor roll. But Steiner holds onto the ropes and comes off with a clothesline, which Hiroshi ducks. So Hase comes off the ropes, hitting a back kick and a clothesline to take Scott to the floor. Suzaki running the ropes, Rick with the leapfrog, goes for a second one, but Kazuke catches him, delivering a power slam, a bulldog, and a clothesline that almost takes Steiner's head off. My God. Scott in with a pump handle slam on Hase, mm. sets Hiroshi on the top rope, coming off with, with a, a super hug. Olympic slam. What's that? The angle slam. Oh, uh, okay. I gotcha. Rick picks up Hase in a gut-wrench suplex, but sits him on his shoulder and runs him face-first into the turnbuckle, followed by a Steiner line. Scott with a belly-to-belly suplex, a DDT. Rick sets Hiroshi on the top rope and hits a super belly-to-belly suplex, an elbow drop, and goes for the cover, but Suzaki makes the save. Like, I don't think we've watched a match that's just power move after power move after power move, right? It's... Suplex, clothesline, different suplex, bulldog, clothesline, two suplexes in a row. Super belly-to-belly, belly. <laughs> yeah. super Olympic slam. Uh, it's like... Gut wrench, come on. It's Welcome to Suplex City, guys. The Steiners work together uh, to hit a population clothesline. Population four. Scott with a tiger driver for the pin, but again, Kazuke makes a save. Hase's tossed to the ropes. Both Steiners duck their heads, allowing Hiroshi to kick Scott and a Uranagi on Rick. Scott tr- comes back to try a Steiner line, but Hase ducks and hits a Uranagi on him as well to make it to his corner for the hot tag. Sasaki with drop kicks to both Steiners. Power slam on Rick. Goes for the cover, but Scott makes a save. Was that when he did the sp- uh, split drop kick? Or were they normal drop kicks? That's the split. Okay, okay, I love that. Just saying. Where you know you do the drop kick on both the guys, but you one leg for each for each guy. Yeah, yeah. I just love that spot. Kenzuke with a running power slam. 
Hase has climbed to the top rope where Suzaki vertical suplexes him right onto Rick. It's like, what a, what a hell of a fucking special. Hiroshi then with a northern light suplex, while Scott just stands over in his corner like he knew Rick was going to kick out. Yeah. Even though JR tells us that no one kicks out of a northern northern light suplex. suplex. That one was a little too telegraphed, but whatever. Hase goes for a clothesline, but Rick ducks when Hiroshi comes back off the crowd, allowing Hase to make the tag. Suzaki's tossed the ropes, but Scott ducks his head, allowing himself to be DDT'd. Kazuke picks Scott up into the electric chair while Hase goes to the top rope. When Rick comes in to kick Suzaki, allowing Scott to try for a cradle, but doesn't doesn't hang hang on. on. Rick then press slams Hiroshi off the top rope. Scott picks Kazuki up into the electric chair when Rick comes off the top rope for the bulldog. Scott then tosses Suzuki to the ropes, hits the Frankensteiner for the pin and the win. And new! Post-match, the Steiners would receive large trophies along with, along with the belts. Yeah. And the Steiners would become the first Americans to win the IWGP Tag Team Belts and the first team to hold all three titles at the same time. But not the only team to do that? I don't know about the last one. They might be the only one to ever be I just think that's kind of crazy. Yeah, just saying. Because uh, I know that, you know... WCW has a relationship with New Japan for a very, very long time. They do. Dave Meltzer would name this match Match of the Year for 1991. Well, so that means we don't have to watch any more 91 pay-per-views? he didn't even give it five stars. Really? It was four and a half, and there was like three or four other five-star matches this year. Really? Which I thought was... Is that just because of, like, psychology? I no clue. I mean, I would probably knock it down at least a quarter star just for that one camera shot where Scott's standing over in the corner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I like, noticed that shit. I was like, that's kind of ridiculous. Uh, yeah. But I mean, this is... But the rest of the match? This, you can put this up next to like any tag match today and it still fucking rules. It does. And it much. rules just as hard or harder than anything today, tomorrow, or yesterday. I would show this to somebody... I would show not this to wrestling. anyone. Anyway, yeah, I would yeah. show it to anyone. Uh-huh. I'd, be I'd, like, be like, hey, I'd be like, hey, mom, watch this. If you like this. <laughs> yeah. If you don't like this, then you're just not going to like wrestling. No, no. It's, uh, like I said, Suplex City, population four. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's very, very good. Let's let's just say it's it's on the short list for, Easy. for our next. Easy. For our best matches of. But my only note after the last match, after the Steiner Brothers match, was uh, "This is wrestling." In quotations, this I was like, "This is wrestling." wrestling. Yeah, I was like, "It's like, oh, that's all I can say about this that match." Is wrestling. Yeah, exactly. Didn't mean to interrupt you, but I was like, "Oh, that's the only note I had after that match was this is wrestling." That's it's good. Really that's a that, really yeah, yeah. That's. I would have been okay with a "This is awesome" chant during yeah. that match mm-hmm. because. It was fucking awesome. <laughs> it was it was it was all of the above. And we're back. That was an awesome match. Great job, guys. It, it was good. To... <laughs> I had to throw that in there because you know I wasn't there, so yeah. you had to have your your last little you raw be without like, oh, me. Yeah, yeah, good job, good job, us. It's like, I thought about well, thanks for the compliment. Thought about splicing myself in there with a, a little a little man on the the streets mm-hmm. interview or something with somebody just to you know include myself somewhere, but no. 
It was great to hear you guys for your uh, your final solo duo show. But you know what's great is we roll into Super Brawl 2 next. And you know what makes that even greater is there's three of us on that show. Mm. That was was your first WCW show, wasn't it? think so. I'm trying to remember now. Yeah. The the Super Brawl 2 match, episode 67? 67. We got Pillman... Versus Liger for the WCW Light Heavyweight Championship. I mean, get, name name me two other men for the WCW Light Heavyweight Championship that you would rather man. see. Oh, oh, would yeah. rather see? Yeah. No, absolutely yeah. none. I know it, in the clip that you're about to listen to. I know we say that give us this match about five more times on this show alone. Yeah, because it is awesome. Damn near perfection. Let's get to it. We then head off to our first match. Flying Brian Pillman versus Jushin Thunder Liger for the WCW Light Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, I thought last week's show was going to have some uh, some bragging rights for best opening match I've had in a while, but they're uh, coming out swinging with this little combination here for match number one. So <laughs> yeah, Super Brawl is already looking up. I've seen Pillman Ligers before, but I haven't seen I hadn't seen this one. And uh, you know, yeah, that's that's the it's uh, a match made in heaven. The great thing about this, these show two guys was, came on. Did you pop? Yeah, of course I did. When I was like, I was like, oh yeah, love Pillman, love Liger. The only other person in this company right now I want to see against Liger is Z Man, and I prefer Pillman, so we're good. <laughs> match gets going with arm work from both to get it started before Pillman gets to running the ropes. Liger with the leapfrog, Pillman with the leapfrog, and both men attempt a drop kick. But neither connect. Flying Brian takes down Juicin with a head scissors and a drop kick that sends him out to the floor, but then follows out with a baseball slide to send Liger into the guardrail. Jesse coming in with a weird Liger predator oh, face yeah. mask comparison. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, Jesse has to get himself over immediately, and it's like, like Liger reminds me of the time where I had to, where I took down the predator in '87. Jesse, you did not take down the predator. I saw the movie. <laughs> Back in the ring, the two start doing some mat wrestling, with Pillman gaining control, sending Juicin to the corner, where he leapfrogs over a charging Brian and runs back to the opposite corner, climbing to the top rope to hit a moonsault for a two count. Come on. The matches are already better than most matches. Mm-hmm. Dropkick sends Pillman to the floor, looks to follow out, but fools us all by springboarding back to the center of the ring. Yeah, real uh, big dick energy from Liger here. Yeah. <laughs> and the crowd at this point just, just kind of like, goes, ooh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is that? Pillman's back in, locks on a sitting ab stretch, which he changes into a head scissors, but Liger escapes and attempts a surfboard. But Flying Brian makes it to the ropes to avoid it. Surfboard. That's what I said. <laughs> Juicin just takes him down to try again, but again, Pillman avoids the move. Liger, with a running drop kick into the corner, tosses Brian to the ropes, who comes back with a crucifix pin attempt for a near fall. Now Pillman tosses Juicin to the ropes, goes for a body slam, but Liger floats over and takes Flying Brian down with a sunset flip pin attempt. Yeah, it's like a, a, a modified count. sunset flip. It's got some weird flair on it. I don't know how to describe it. But, I mean, you should watch this, whoever you are. Pillman with a back suplex. Irish whips Jushin, charging in with a flying knee. But, Lu- but Liger moves out of the way and starts working on flying Brian's leg with leg whips, shin breakers, and locking on a figure four. 
The two men start slapping each other while in the submission hold until Pillman finally turns it over for all the pressure to be on Jushin. But they continue to roll to the ropes, so the hold is broken. The slaps were awesome. <laughs> yeah. You don't put a guy trained by Ric Flair in a figure four and not expect to see... Yeah, like him being in the figure four and then slapping. I do love a bit of a, a sidebar, but I love that the figure four is like not... It's everyone can use it. Yeah. yeah. It's like everybody can use it, but not everybody can a master ta- of it. But yeah, not everybody's a master of it. Not everybody can get a win with it. Like you can see it in the middle of a first match or a mid card match from somebody as long as it doesn't finish the as long as it's not the finishing move. Yeah. And at the same time, as soon as anybody puts on a figure four, it piques your interest because of like what it is to the people that do use it. Liar continues working the leg with stomps, a half-crab, but Flying Brian fights out to hit it in Siguri. Jushin tosses Pillman to the ropes and goes for a slam, but Brian reverses it into a head-scissors takedown, then charges at Liger, who back-body drops him over the ropes to the floor. And Flying Brian Pillman is a... Oh, wait, no, wrong show, wrong show. I mean, over the top ropes, doesn't that mean it's over? Did both feet hit the floor? Did the ref see it? I mean, this is... NWA rules, or is, is it how, WCW is rules? They, or is, it... is that how they want to finish the match? I mean, it's, it's not. <laughs> I'm just saying. Jushin climbs to the top rope to hit a somersault splash out to the floor. Pillman makes his way back to the apron, where Liger tries for the suplex into the ring, but is blocked multiple times. So he tries to slam Brian's head into the turnbuckle, mm-hmm. and that is blocked and reversed as well, followed by a springboard clothesline from Pillman. It's, Yeah. I, everybody needs to jump off of the top rope all the time. Like, not the turnbuckle, but to the rope. Flying Brian's back out to the apron and vertical suplexes Jushin out to the floor, comes off the top rope with a crossbody before placing Liger on the guardrail. Goes back to the apron to jump off with a splash, but Jushin moves and Pillman hits the guardrail hard. You would think that they would be, like, fined for suplexing somebody from the, like, apron to the floor in the first match be like hey like how is anybody going to get over like you have <laughs> you are you are fined and and suspended for 30 days cuz you fucked up wrestling for everybody else <laughs> because that was because that's too good Liger rolls Brian back into the ring goes to the top rope coming off with an axe handle but Pillman drop kicks him on the way down Flying Brian then climbs to the top rope coming off with a drop kick but Jushin blocks it with a drop kick of his own both men attempt a spinning heel kick to knock them both back down, but Liger's up first to hit Pillman with a power slam for a two-count. I love this thing of them just like, nobody can get a handle on, like, they're just basically like, trading moves, but nobody's staying on top of it, and they remind you of that with these, the move that first happened in the match where they do the double drop kick, and yeah. then here's a spin kick. It's like, oh, we can have storytelling in a singles match in WCW without Ric Flair. Flying Brian tries for a suplex, but Jushin reverses the waist lock, hitting a bridging German suplex for a near fall. Liger sets Pillman up on the top rope looking for the superplex, but Flying Brian tosses Jushin off to the mat, comes off with a crossbody for the pin, and the no! Liger kicks out. Pillman tosses Jushin to the ropes, but ducks his head, allowing Liger to hit a power bomb. For a two count. A little man like that doing a powerbomb. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't expect it. 
to be as as impactful as it is. But that dude can he pulled that out of nowhere and Liger's also I pretty like in. he's pretty he's kind of Liger's kind of thick. Yeah, look at those thighs. He's a short man, but there's there's a there's some mass there. Jushin picks up Brian to hit a second power bomb, but Pillman goes to reverse it into a hurricanrana, but it's botched a little mm. bit. Can't win them all. A little funky. But when you do it all, you're going to miss one. So he only gets a two count. Liger now sends Flying Brian to the ropes and ducks his head, allowing Pillman to hit a DDT. Makes the cover for the pin, but Jushin gets his arm on the ropes. Oh, he gets it quick, too. The two men start running the ropes, ducking clotheslines from each other, then both go for crossbodies to collide in the middle of the ring. Flying Brian's up first, starts climbing to the top, but Liger falls onto the ropes, causing Pillman to crotch himself. Then Jushin climbs up to hit the superplex for the pin, and the no! Flying Brian kicks out. Liger goes up to the top, coming off with a flying headbutt, but Pillman moves. He then hooks the shoulders, rolls him over, and bridges backwards to cradle up Jushin for the pin and the win. Love the flash pin to come on and... And... and oh, uh, I botched that. Fucking beautiful. Yeah, there's a botch of the match. We'll botch yeah, the end news. My God. Whatever. But yeah, I got excited about the flash pin. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, oh, like, it wasn't... You gotta keep people honest. And sometimes you win without your finisher. And that's good. That's a good thing. It's post-match. The two men end up... Hugging, shaking hands, showing respect to each other. Yeah. As Liger does quite often. Fucking beautiful match. I want more. I already. Uh, yeah, this, it's this, like, uh, I, I would have taken a two out of three best of seven whatever, <laughs> just for this entire show. Match number two is Flying Brian versus Liger in a rematch. Yeah. <laughs> this time. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's yeah, do yeah. it. Look at all those slippy boys. But now we're going to bring it down feet on the mat. And Piper. Piper, no, no flips, just fists. No flips, just fists, kilts, and hearts on our sleeve. But Piper putting over heart at the end of this, the hug, the this is not the most like well worked match. It's not a typical Bret Hart match, really. But the emotion. But the emotion. It's one of those things that WWF strives for all the time, and. Uh, doesn't always very get it. Rarely. Very rarely actually gets it, but when they do, it's incredible. And this is one of the best examples in a feud that's not, you know, like your savage Hogan Elizabeth that like lasts a super extended amount of time. That's yeah. like really played out and one of the only times they really nailed everything. This is just kind of like on a whim not on a whim, but it's just to get heart over. But it's done so well, and Piper really puts in the work to make it happen for him. And uh, if you're not, if your eyes aren't glossy at the end of this match, what are you even doing here? Exactly. I think that's the perfect introduction, and for us to head off to WrestleMania Eight, Episode Sixty Eight. So we get our third match: Brett the Hitman Hart versus Rowdy Roddy Piper for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. The two men stare each other down before the bell. Piper then with an arm drag, only for Brett to return the favor moments later. Roddy with a single leg takedown has heart and a waist lock, but the hitman uses his momentum to throw Piper out to the floor. Roddy's hot, jumps back in the ring, and spits at Brett. 
before asking for a test of strength that turns into an extended wrist lock sequence by part, not letting Piper go, no matter what Roddy threw at him. And Roddy looks like real lean here. It's like, I think this might be the best shape we've seen him in. Looks even better than the last show. Yeah, he's got he's to have that champion's physique now that he carried the, uh, the Intercontinental title. But I have to say, I've always hated the test of strength. I, I'm trying to think of a time where I actually enjoyed them doing it in, in a match. And I don't know, it's just always... It's a move that they do in the first five minutes of a match that's just kind of like, okay, we got to get to yeah, later yeah. It's on like, in the match. All right, yeah, yeah. I mean, it Instead serves a, headlock, it serves a, a purpose, but rarely is it compelling. That's why I like Japanese wrestling where they just take turns hitting each other to see who's more manly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd take that anytime over a let me hold your hand so I can squeeze it and we yeah. can see who can squeeze harder. Over, like <laughs> over the top Stallone style? Yes. Uh, nice throwback. The hitman delivers a drop kick but looks to have hurt his shoulder. But it was all a ruse as he cradles Piper for a two count. Classic hitman. Roddy retaliates with a slap to the face, and the two men are, are yelling at each other until Brett hits a crossbody that eventually takes them both over the ropes to the floor. A real 360, right, Gorilla? Piper's back in the ring first, where he holds the ropes open for Hart to get back in. Roddy being Roddy. Uh, mind games. Let, let me uh, hold the rope for you like Savage does for Miss Elizabeth. The ref points out Hitman's boot is untied. But as he goes to tie it, Roddy comes in with an uppercut that busts Hart open. We got a bleeder! I know, it's always exciting when you get a little bit of blood in, in a WWF show. Piper with head slams into turnbuckles, delivers a bulldog, and starts biting at the cut. A knee lift, but Brett comes back with a sunset flip for a two count. If you're not willing to bite the cut, you shouldn't be throwing fists. Exactly. Roddy's right back to working on the cut. But Hitman retaliates with a flying forearm that sends Piper out to the floor, but is right back in for the two to both hit clotheslines for a double KO. Roddy's up first and goes up to the top rope, only for Brett to pop up, hit Piper in the gut, a draping faceplant, inverted atomic drop, vertical suplex, Russian leg sweep, backbreaker, and goes for the sharpshooter. But Roddy blocks. So Hart follows up with an elbow drop before <laughs> heading to the second row. It's like, excuse me, uh, waiter, can we get uh, one of everything on the menu? <laughs> <laughs> Five moves of doom. Please, I was going to say like 16 moves of doom. <laughs> yeah. Hitman jumps off the second rope with another elbow drop, but Piper gets a boot up on oh, Brett's beautiful. chin, and the two start slugging it out from their knees. Great, it's gorgeous. There's blood, there's energy. And they're punching each other on, the, on their knees. Yeah. Some might call it a slobber knocker, but <laughs> maybe not next year. Not, not, not quite, quite yet. yet. <laughs> Roddy tosses Hart into the ref and then follows with a clothesline to send Hitman out to the floor. Piper continues the attack by slamming Brett's head into the still steps, rolls him back into the ring, and then goes and grabs the ring bell. Gotta get the fucking bell. So Roddy has the bell inside the ring. He raises it. But he starts having second thoughts as the crowd is yelling. He knows, the, he knows the whole family. Exactly. Having flashbacks <laughs> to young little Bret Hart playing out in the yard. Can't do this to the poor kid. So he throws the bell away. Locks on the sleeper. But Hart walks up the ropes to flip over on top of Piper as he still has the sleeper locked in. Yes. For the pin. And, and the win. win. 
and new. Post-match, Roddy takes the belt away from the ref and then lays it on the hitman. Helps him to his feet and then snaps it around the waist. I'm not crying. Are you crying? The two men then hug before walking to the back together. And now you can... Oh, that's not true. It's like, you can just turn the show off, but that's not true. There's, yeah. good, there's, a, there's plenty of other good stuff here, but I mean, there's plenty of shows we've watched where if this was on the show, it, it, you, you could say that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. But uh, luckily for uh, you and for us, that is not the case. But uh, I couldn't put this over enough. This fucking match. Yeah. If if you're not a, a wrestling fan or you're honestly yeah. looking for something just to want to know why people enjoy watching wrestling, this is a a That's match to throw out there. Definitely. Yeah. Like, if you got what ten minutes? I think it's like thirteen. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, totally worth it's it. It's a quick match. And it's a 13 minutes that feels like five because it's The ring psychology in this match, just with them both going, both are going back and forth between face and heel because they're both faces technically at this time. Uh-huh. But they both use heel tactics at times. And then just collection of moves and stuff. The we, We've said it many times, but bleeding rings and If you another bleed all the time, element. it doesn't, it's not great. But like, it, it, like this is a, great use of it like the guy that wins is the one that bled yeah like and it's believable and he won by being the better wrestler by being the better and smarter wrestler and you don't even you can just if you've never seen wrestling you can be like oh like you can look at it and still tell like oh he's the one that's more technical and smarter about it who else would have done that in a sleeper situation Brett fucking Hart that's it oh my heart swollen (laughs) up three sizes just everything. Yes, don't him, for... him putting the ring bell down. Uh, it's so good. And make sure that class. if you watch this, you got to catch the the Piper promos and Heart promos beforehand. Oh yeah, the the cheek pinching. The... Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> he knows the whole family. It's like it's it's such a like lightning in a bottle one night feud. So I mean, it really just feels like early '92 was kind of the the gravy on our three-year journey over the last 40 episodes. I've become a big old WCW boy in this later 92. Not all the shows are consistent, but it's wrestling. But when it goes off, it goes off. This whole list, we could have done one that was just separated the two companies, basically. because Definitely. And the WCW list would have been harder to thin down, and it was. As you can see, so far, there has only been one WWF match. And the next one, spoiler alert, is not a WWF match. It's from Beach Blast 92, it episode is 70. Fucking blast. The pay-per-view that's tattooed on my forehead. It, it, on my chest and my it, heart. It was one of your favorite shows that we've ever covered. It is one of my favorite matches of... 92, maybe my favorite match of 92. Probably, most definitely my favorite match of 92. <laughs> I'm sorry, you had to work through that with me. <laughs> but I remember, you literally texted me and was like, this is on the short list, right? And I was like, oh, oh yes. don't you worry about that. We're talking Ravishing Rick Rude, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, in a 30-man Iron Man match. 30 minute Iron Man match. 
There's only two men. There is only two men. It's yeah. okay. Yeah, it's it's all right. You talk. They wrestled so much that it felt, felt like, like there was thirty of them. <laughs> yeah, they deserve they deserve body doubles uh, for the work put in here. Iron Man matches typically not the best. No. I normally like just one fall. I'm gonna come up with one fall clean finish guy, but that's what we all chase in wrestling. That's why the that's you know that's what you're trying to put over. That's what you're working towards in a good feud. Absolutely. But this. I mean, I dare you to find a better Iron Man match from uh, either company throughout the 90s than this one. We'll get there. I think this the first Iron the first Man three match. Years, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. I'm like, we got... Slow your roll. I know, but it's it was... It's going to be it's... up there, but slow your roll. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's not going to take 30 minutes to listen to it, so just keep listening as we talk about it some more. Yeah. We then go to our fifth match. Ravishing Rick Rude. Versus Ricky, the Dragon Steamboat, in a 30-minute Iron Man match with no title on the line. Crazy. Where all the where have all the titles gone? But in the melody of where have all the cowboys gone? I, I was going to try to sing I it, exactly but I couldn't. I was like, I can't sing. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> Rude comes out. He wants the music cut so that all the fat, out of shape, Alabamians. Beach loving bozos. Is I guess Alabama has a beach, right? Yeah. They got a little the the floor of Florabama yeah, Florabama line. Shore. Florabama. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Never been Coral, there. Coral Shores. I think that's there too. So he wants them all to be quiet. So yeah. he can show them what a real man looks like. I mean some if anybody can say it, why not Rick Rude? Yeah. Little Dragon and Ricky's wife. A company steamboat out to the ring. Whole dragon family. Aww. I love the, little, the matching little, geese. Uh, he's a little and, dragon in quite some time. No, nah, he's, he's, a, he's a little big dragon. He's a <laughs> m- middle dragon? Uh, yeah. But the, the they're matching uh, geese. I think you call it a gee, right? It's mm-hmm. a karate outfit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I thought that was really adorable. Rude starts walking towards Ricky as he's helping the little dragon out of the ring. And Steamboat is none too happy about it. Of course not. And starts laying it in with right hands oh, and yeah. chops. It's a good way to get the match started. It's like, okay. like, Oh, you're going to come after my family? Yeah, it's like, all right, it's on so. now. It's like, oh, let's get the ba- let, let have the baby face start hot for a change. And here's an easy, simple excuse for that to happen. And you got Jesse that reverses it, you know, accusing the dragon of using his kid to... Yeah. You know, slow or control the start of the match. All good stuff. And uh, JR does... Use some topical news here, saying that Rick Rude is about as popular as iced tea at the policeman's ball. <laughs> Ooh, I know. I was like, all right, Jr. I didn't know you were uh, uh, kept up with them TVs. <laughs> Steamboat continues the attack with a gut buster, a running shoulder block, reverses a hip toss attempt, and continues working on the rib area of the ravishing one. And I love that we have a little clock in the corner of the screen. Yes, clock ticking down from 30 mm-hmm. minutes to keep us informed of how long. Luckily, it's not on the uh, big screen, so people can keep going. 10, 9, <laughs> <laughs> Fucking assholes. I mean, I, I feel like that, you know, spoiler, if you're looking at the, paying attention to the clock during this match, you don't like wrestling. I'd have to agree. The dragon with a bear hug, but Rude escapes the attack by planting a knee into Ricky's face. Misses a clothesline, allowing Steamboat to slam the ravishing one and then lock on a modified bow and arrow. 
Rude is able to escape momentarily, kicking the dragon off to the ropes, only for Ricky to come back and lock on a Boston Crab. Yanking it so far back at one point, it's basically a Walls of Jericho. Yeah, and Rick Rude is selling it, selling it real good. But the Ravishing One makes it to the ropes. Steamboat yanks Rude off the ropes, hits a splash, and delivers a bunch of knee drops to the ribs, followed by a front suplex. Steamboat is sadistic, like Dr. No, in Goldfinger. It's, it's the James Bond movies. Jesse was rambling on about that. <laughs> like, why do you have to tell us who Dr. We should do like a. We we should we could start doing an over under for how many times he references the Predator. (laughs) It's at least once every show. Maybe he was trying to get himself. Like that was in '87, Jesse. That's what it is. He's dropping those subliminal hints out there that Mm -hmm. you know Jesse, the Body Ventura, is talking about James Bond. Yeah, he wants to play James Bond. I think he'd be a good James Bond villain, with his especially with the little hair thing, his like pony bald ponytail look. Get him a little, you know. Little black Zorro mask. I mean, I don't know. Sorry, Matt. I don't want to offend. I know you're the resident James Bond fan. He could throw a shoe. Who <laughs> <laughs> throws a shoe? The dragon with the Irish whip and charges in, but the ravishing one gets a knee up into the chin. Makes a cover with a handful of tights for a pin. Bum, bum, bum. Rude is up one nothing yeah. with 22 minutes remaining. Uh, and what a way for, the, for the, to get the pin, but with a handful of tights on the first one. Bring the heat up. The Ravishing One doesn't stop the attack, hitting multiple falling fists, multiple knee lifts, and then a rude awakening for another pin. I know, I was already crapping my pants. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, at this point, I really don't know what's like. Because at first I was thinking, what are the stupid like matches where it's like two or three pinfalls? Two out of three. Yeah, like why do they do that? Because then you kind of figure it out at some point. It's like nobody's going to get all three at the same time or whatever. It just feels like you can kind of figure out what's going to happen at some point. Like they're both going to end up with two it's with two pinfalls, and then it's basically just a singles match, but they're tired now. So I was thinking about like the two out of three falls thing when this first happened, and I was like, what the fuck? But I, I figured it out pretty quickly. Sarood is now up 2 nothing with 21 minutes remaining. The Ravishing One with a body slam heads up to the top rope and comes off with a flying knee drop. But remember, moves off the top rope cause a disqualification. So Rude is now only up two to one with 20 minutes remaining. We get that real nice. He was just trying to, he's like, well, I can take the one pin off the top. I already got two and I can get me another quick three. I don't know. What do you think he's going to get a double pin? The Ravishing One just literally doesn't care about the disqualification because of the damage that the move does. Yeah, it's smart enough. So he literally picks up Steamboot, only to cradle him for another pin. Worth it. Now Rude is up 3-1 to with 19 minutes remaining. Ricky starts firing up with right hands and chops, ducks his head on an Irish whip to be face-planted by the Ravishing One, before hitting a snapmare and locking on a camel clutch. The dragon begins to make his way towards the ropes, but Rude just jumps down on his back to stop the momentum. The ravishing one goes to bump and grind, but the ribs are a little sore. So he just goes back to the attack on Steamboat with more knees to the back and a camel clutch again, only for Ricky to lift him up for an electric chair drop. Yeah, we're getting our Steamboat chance, of course, for old old Steamboat in, in the clutch. I was going to say, Steamboat doing the electric chair drop 
you know, from the starting position he was in, that one, that one impressed the hell out of me because I mean, Steamboat isn't a a big dude, and picking up Rick Rude on your shoulders from a, a laying down position is pretty yeah. fucking badass to me. I mean, Steamboat's just not a cut guy. He's still pretty tall, right? I mean, he's tall. He's just. He's not, I mean, I, I not everybody looks like uh, Rick I don't Rude. see him as the, the manhandling type and the fact that he can yeah. stand up from a laying down position. See him as more of, you know, the arm drag kind of guy that he is. Yes. The dragon goes for another splash, but Rude gets his knees up and Fuck. follows that up with a swinging neckbreaker for a bunch of near falls. Again, Steamboat's firing up with chops, but the Ravishing One catches him with a boot, hits a snapmare, and locks on a reverse chin lock. To continue to wear down Ricky. 15 minute call. 15 minutes in. Was that our first reverse chin lock? Yeah. That's good. Fine with that. They they deserve a little bit of a break. I mean, it also is in Rude's favor to put on these rest holds because it wastes time. Yeah, exactly. After escaping, the dragon runs in to a knee, putting Rude back in control to hit several head slams into turbuckles and a pile driver for a two count. Poor Ricky. The Ravishing One then goes for a Tombstone Piledriver, only for Steamboat to reverse into one of his own for a pin. This is where he uses Rick Root as a ladder. He, like, crawls up the man. It's incredible. <laughs> so Ricky cuts the lead in half and is now 3-2 to two for Root with 12 minutes remaining. Yeah, the Rick Root is a ladder. I, re- I rewinded it a few times. It's like, what, the, what in the hell? As the dragon goes to pick the ravishing one up, Rude ganks Steamboat into the corner to hit face first into a turnbuckle. Heads back up to the top rope, <laughs> which seems kind of stupid since you're only one fall up mm-hmm. at this time. But Ricky makes it back to his feet to stagger the ravishing one and hits a superplex, mm. which I guess is legal if they're both on the top rope? I don't know. I was like, huh? Maybe they just got excited and he was like, Superplex, and they were just like adrenaline was going, so they forgot. Uh, another I mean, cowboy told... made that move famous, I thought, back in the day. So maybe since one cowboy did it, it was okay by another cowboy to allow it. We're not told on this show, but we're told later on okay. that a superplex is legal. Okay, because it's like the oldest, the oldest eye spot. Both, everybody likes because they're both coming off the because thing. they're agreeing to do it. They're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're exposing the business. But, you know, I'm fine with it, because who doesn't want to see a superplex? Yeah, I love superplexes. I'll take it. The dragon slowly makes his way over to the, for the cover, but only a two count. And the two men then hit double clotheslines for a double KO. Rude crawls on top of Steamboat for a two count. But Ricky bridges up and rolls the ravishing one over for a backslide pin. And the match is all tied up with nine minutes remaining. Holy shit. Holy shit. Yeah, and we, this is uh, about, about our 10-minute call. Ricky then with an inside cradle for two, jackknife pin for two, crossbody and cover for two, but Rude slows the momentum with a jawbreaker. <sighs> the Ravishing One continues the attack, driving Steamboat's face into the mat several times, yelling, You ain't no Iron Man! You gotta remember that, that nose of old Ricky, too. Body slam, falling forearm, clothesline by Rude, and gives us a single bicep pose and begins to choke the dragon. Multiple forearms across the chin before going for another rude awakening. But Steamboat powers out and hits his own rude awakening 
makes the cover for the pin. No! The Ravishing One's foot's on the ropes. Multiple knee drops from Ricky as we have five minutes remaining. Hits a vertical and back suplex for two counts. Rude reverses an Irish whip and locks on the sleeper, jumping onto the dragon's back. Steamboat attempts to knock the Ravishing One off by slamming him into a turnbuckle multiple times. But Rude just continues to hold on for over two minutes. Yeah, these motherfuckers are just dripping sweat. <laughs> like, I swear this was fucking the longest sleeper I've seen. It was only two minutes? It was... It was over two minutes by the time that Ricky dropped to the mat, finally. Yeah, I felt but, like it was like a good ten minutes. But it didn't suck. No. <laughs> no, no. I was like, it was high tension. I was like in tears. I was like, what is it? Yeah. Uh, I just, just got rude with a sleeper. A forever sleeper. Forever. Dot, dot, dot. Still sleepering. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Cranking up the sleeper some more. <laughs> After another minute in the hold... The ref finally goes to lift the arm of the dragon. Mm. I didn't see. I didn't even notice how long the sleeper was. I think I was just too excited. It was over three and a half minutes. That's crazy. I didn't even. I would. I would normally complain about something like that. I didn't. My only note here is that these guys are killing it and sweating their asses off. I, oh, and it says this is wrestling. I, I wrote <laughs> a lot about it, but yeah, I wasn't mad at all. Yeah, it was. It was. Very I didn't, didn't even register. Fitting for the. And usually, when the ref goes to raise the arm, you know, it's like. One, mm-hmm. two, and then they finally hold, keeps it up on three. Yeah. Ricky's arm stays up on the first turn. Yeah. Steamboat fires no, up. No, yeah, no baby face in peril. They're behind him. Walks. He's got, he's got a little dragon to take care of. He walks up the ropes and jumps backwards on top of the ravishing one for a pin while still in the sleeper. Yeah, And come on. Ricky's now up four to three. With 30 seconds remaining. Is there a cooler way that he could have, like, got the lead? He could have finished the flip and eh. done the Bret Hart finish. I mean, he was just in a, he was just in a sleeper for four, four minutes. I'll give it to him. Yeah. But that's also, like, it's like, oh, the sleeper that long and then making the pin while still in the sleeper? It's like, holy, come on. <laughs> How smart are these guys? Someone, someone give them a honorary master's degree from Alabama State. Root is in panic mode, hits multiple clotheslines, all for two counts, an inside cradle for a near fall, body slam, but Steamboat kicks out as time expires. And Ricky Steamboat wins the match. Four to three. Wow. Wow. Matches on the short list. Come on, come on. Look, look. You'll be proud. This is, this is my first one. I even wrote it on here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I spent the time to re-listen to that because once again we're smart about our jobs here (laughs) and putting that match on this show yeah yeah we'd be i didn't even get this far i just paused it and rewatched it myself that's a smart choice as well now this last one on our list like the actual thing is very entertaining to watch yes but the reason it's on this list is because it entertains me so much to have listened to it live, and then I edit this stuff. You're the real MVP. And <laughs> I listen to it two or three more times while editing it, because it just it put a smile on my face. Michael and Shane reenacted the Halloween mini-movie from Clash of the Champions. 
leading towards Jake the Snake and Sting in a coal miner's glove match. Unfortunately, the coal miner's glove on a pole didn't quite make the match, but I'm flattered that Matt would uh, put this here. Likewise. Yeah, this was fun. This was like my first little read-through on air in forever, so... Mm. The only time I think I've ever acted in my life. Aww. You did I've had to do Mean Gene before. Oh, yeah, yeah. To my ultimate warrior. Yes, that's true. <laughs> those, those were those were always some of my favorite moments back then. <laughs> so it doesn't surprise me that this is one of my favorite moments of the last 40 episodes that we have covered. Sting! I mean, no, this time... You guys ready for it? You got your finger on the button to play the clip? Oh, I have yeah, to I'm, I'm ready to go. Are you ready to go? Uh-huh. Michael, grab. And then he sends it to a mini movie for Halloween Havoc. Mm-hmm. Which is the coolest thing ever. We see the moon is out, and Medusa opens up a door to the underground. Creek. She's let into a room with a group of men chanting, Spin the wheel, make the deal. Spin the wheel. Make the deal. Everyone's covered in leather and liquor. (laughs) We see a Hannibal Lecter-like person in a cage before Medusa is led to a lever attached to a wheel. We then see a guy polishing his sword, and it's not a metaphor. Damn it. And Jake is in the corner of the room. Just smirking. You can tell that it's not shot. Like, it's shot, like, from his home. Yeah. Medusa's then handed different knives before going back to the lever... And all of a sudden, Sting busts into the door, and the crowd goes silent. They're all bad guys. And for your listening pleasure, Michael is going to reenact Sting, and Shane is going to reenact Jake in this mini-movie. And action. Sting! I knew you'd come. It was just a matter of time. Yeah, I'm here. What's the deal? I'm going to finish what I started in Baltimore. When I get done with you... You will wish you had never been born. You talk too much. Get to the point. What's the deal? Relax. What's your hurry? I'm going to take my time and enjoy the moment. Cut the crap. I don't want to have to come over there and kick your... Sting. You don't get it, do you? You don't have a clue. Look around you. This is my playground. These are my people. I'm smiling, not you. It's come down to this. You see, the deal is on the wheel. At Halloween Havoc, your worst nightmare will come true. Twelve of the toughest and most brutal matches in wrestling. You see on the wheel, there's a cage match, a barbed wire match, a death match. There might even be a mystery match. But you see the deal is, you gotta step up and spin the wheel. Once you spin it, where it stops is what you and I are gonna do. And what happens? Well, we both go in the ring, one man comes out, the other... Well, no. You think I'm afraid of some wheel? You think I'm afraid of you? Step out of the fog, Sting. Clear your head. You're not thinking. I'm the master of all these matches. This is a no game for me. This is fun. But it's not a game. We play it on my turf and on my terms. So good luck, Sting. You're gonna need it. What are you waiting for? Let's do it now. Sting grabs the lever. Sting, grab. And the wheel begins to spin as the crowd is chanting again. Spin the wheel, make the deal. Spin the wheel, make the deal. Roberts and Stinger's eyes lock. Lasers begin to fire out and the screen explodes. To be continued 
at Halloween Havoc. Sting, confused. <laughs> Gets better every time. <laughs> oh, it's... I didn't know you weren't supposed to read the stage direction. <laughs> I'm sorry. I told you it was my first time acting. Sting grab. Literally still my favorite thing that I think we've ever done on this show. <laughs> and uh, it, like, it barely has anything to do with wrestling. Exactly. It could have just been from an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? It gives me hope for uh, whatever the, the next little mini movie to come along during the summer. I don't know if you've seen it or if you even know what I'm talking about, but... Be on the lookout for it. I think it's Beach Blast 94. So I couldn't remember if it was 94 or 93. But so we'll, oh, okay. we'll get it within the next year or so. It's going to be great. I believe you. I won't Google it. <laughs> it it's amazing. If we could do the Edge and Christian version and have like the sound effects and everything that they do, <laughs> that might take it completely over the edge. But yeah, that was our Type 5 that we decided to share again. It's kind of a type four. The mini movie is the best thing ever. Don't <laughs> don't hurt me. I'm, I, yeah, I don't take compliments. If well. you need me, throw out a, a fifth wrestling match. Honorable mention: Steve Austin, Dustin Rhodes. All right, let's get to some honorable mentions. I mean, so, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Let's throw a few out there. I've been since I joined the podcast, and anytime we've covered a WCW show, it seems that the two of them have crossed paths at some point in the ring, and that's been the highlight of my. My entertainment of the show, so yeah. Let's all pick one. You got Steve, you got Steve Austin. Austin. Which show was that from again? That was Rhodes. Halloween Havoc '91, episode sixty. And it's not very often I say something on Halloween Havoc is good. So, bam. How about you, Michael? You got a oh man mention that you'd like to mention? I do. It's it's difficult. I'm gonna leave Gab ninety for you. I think that's your your choice, right? Yeah, probably. So I will go. Flair Savage, because Flair in WWF at this time needs something. And this is kind of it. This is like the best thing that he did, right? And apparently WWF needs a little at this point something in time. on our list. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going mean, to throw it that way. Ric Flair versus Randy Savage for the championship at WrestleMania 8. Uh, another another one from episode 68. It's like these two guys, like, Ric Flair gets it. Randy Savage is willing to willing to do the thing. And it works out great. And what's yours, Matthew? I mean, I'm going to go all the way back to 1990. <sighs> See, I left it for you because I knew we couldn't have the same one. At the Great American Bash, mm-hmm. we had a debuting tag team. That in... were pulled to a perfect match by some veterans. In Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers, the Southern Boys. Were they the wild-eyed Southern Boys on this show? I think so. Yes. I, I know, yeah, I know they're the wild-eyed Southern boys and the Southern boys, and then what was the third name? The Young, young Pistols. Pistols. Yes, exactly. But they but matched we're talking up against Southern boys. some veterans in the Midnight Express. Jimmy, Jimmy C uh, over there in the corner. God, I love him. There's no belt on the line. No. But there's just some stuff that is done in this match, especially by Smothers and Armstrong. Yeah. That just went. My mind was kind of blown. Yes. Like, Midnight just sets them up for the stuff, and they just fucking they nail it when they have the opportunity to. Absolutely. But you can find that uh, that match on episode 46. Go back and listen to that one, too. It's a, it is a fun one. They tore, tore the house down with that match. 
Absolutely. My, if my friend Paul in Connecticut is listening, uh, it's a damn shame that the Midnight Express is not in the Hall of Fame yet. So fix your shit and get him in there already. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, Paul. <laughs> but next week, we're headed to Tokyo, Japan. Woo! For WCW New Japan Pro Wrestling Super Show 3. Back in the Egg Dome. January 4th, Part 2. Part 3. Part 3? Okay. Happy New Year. But it's going to be our first show of 1993. I know. So it's start of a new season. Which means, also, if you didn't hear last week the announcement, we're setting the dusty finish aside for, for a bit. Giving it a little bit of a breather. And we're Add gonna... some levity to the show, where yeah. I answer questions incorrectly. <laughs> and we're going to have a little trivia time called Making Their Way to the Ring, where Michael and Shane will face off in a quiz battle to the... Finish? Song singing oh, finish. Oh, that's fuck. right. So is it if I don't win, get a if I win, ring. do I get to pick the song he has to sing and exactly. vice versa? Yeah. Exactly. We don't get a battle bowl ring. Mm, we no. we don't get a a trophy. Yeah. We, yeah. I'm not playing this off as it's more important than a world title. No. I mean, you know how but I feel damn, about my trophies. But it's damn important. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, I'm gonna. I am a two time defending lip sync champion. So are you? Watch yourself now. Lip sync ain't gonna do you no good when you actually gotta sing. I am a former aspiring country music singer. Are you? Yeah. All right. (laughs) The music from this show is New Body by Audio Adrenaline. That's usually our music underneath the dusty finishes. And Bell Bottoms by John Spencer Blues Explosion, which is our smarking it up music usually. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. You can always hit us up on our email at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Laters! <laughs>